Good evening. It's good to see a good crowd here tonight. Um, it's good to see you. I hadn't seen some of y'all for a, a year, just about. It'll be a year this March, I guess. So it's good to see everybody and welcome. Uh, next, uh, just kind of the, what we're going to follow is next week, Charles is going to be preaching. He's going to be preaching through the book of Ephesians. So I look forward to that. And uh, Charles, I don't know if you ever heard him preach, but he is a very gifted uh, fellow. The Lord's given him a lot of gifts for ministry. And uh, we still at least are planning on following the old pattern of not having worship the first Sunday, but in the rest of the Sundays of the month we will have evening services. If you would please turn in the Old Testament book of the minor prophet Jonah. Jonah, I think, is one of my favorite Old Testament uh, books, just because Jonah is so much like, like we are, uh, and it's at least like I am. Maybe I'll not like Jonah, but I, I have tendencies toward that myself. So we're going to be looking at the first uh, three verses this evening of the book of Jonah. So again, in following the morning tradition, would you please stand for the reading of God's word this evening? Let's hear the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee from Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God abides forever. Please be seated. Let's go to God in prayer. Pray for me as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves as you sit under the proclamation of our God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, Lord, uh, agrees with Charles. What a pleasant time it is to get together on the Lord's Day evening for evening worship. Oh God, we ask you to burden the entire congregation that they would be here for the Lord's Day evening services, that you would give us revival of heart and mind, our Lord. And we thank you for each one who's here this evening. We pray that it would be a blessing to us. Our God, we ask you to come visit with your people, and that grace upon grace may be administered to us. Do help me as I preach your word, O God, as I can do nothing on my own. Lest the Lord builds a house, those who labor, labor in vain. So bless your word, Heavenly Father, our God and our King. Bless your people as they sit under the proclamation of your word this evening. Make it be profitable to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you ever been forced to do something that you did not want to do? When I was growing up, I was invited to go to a birthday party. I may have told you all this before. I've been here for almost 30 years. You can believe that? I'm getting old. And so I went down three or four houses down the street, Merle Street, and I went to the party. I didn't know this person that well. I didn't like them that well because I didn't know them that well. And I opened the front door. No one was there, so I tossed the present into the front door and went back home. That's all they wanted was the present, right? So when I got home, my mother made me go back. So I had to go back to the birthday party. That's all I can remember. I don't remember anything else. But all of us have been forced into situations that we would, if we could, change where we had to go or what we had to do somehow in some way to get out of it. Jonah was uh, such a man. He was an Old Testament preacher. 
He served the Lord faithfully. We know that from other places in the Bible. He served the Lord throughout his life. And it was at this point God called upon him to do something, and he did not want to do it. This is phenomenal. And this is mind-blowing, that here's this guy that is a faithful servant of, of God, and God tells him to do something, and he runs away as if he's going to get away with it, as if he's going to accomplish his task of, being, of trying to get out of what God has called him to do. Uh, he has th- something recorded about him in 2 Kings 14:25. Jeroboam, he restored, that is Jeroboam, restored the territory of Israel from the entrance of Hamath to the Sea of Arabah, according to the word of the Lord God of Israel, which he had spoken through his servant Jonah, son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-Hefer. So he was a herald of good news to the northern kingdom as this was very good news that God had given to the people of Israel. Uh, under the leadership of Jeroboam II, he was a strong leader. He was not a godly leader. He was not a, a, a good man. He was a wicked king. Uh, Jonah ruled about the time, or reigned, or prophesied about the time of 8th century B.C. We do not know if he wrote this book. We don't know who wrote the book. It's not really presented to us. Uh, and there is debate on how to view the book among scholars. Some people say it is fiction, like a Dean Koontz novel, nothing more than fiction, and that is all. They say that because of some of the fantastic accounts in the book, that Nineveh was three days' walk. If you walk for three days constantly throughout the day, as long as you have the time, it's about 60 miles, about 20 miles a day you can walk. So they say, well, there's no such thing as a city that was that big. But you've got to keep in mind, as Jonah walked, he preached. He didn't go straight through. He preached along the way as he was going through the city. Another problem is some say the story of the big fish swallowing Jonah was just absolutely unbelievable. Therefore, it could not possibly have happened. So we know then that it is not really a true story. Well, Jesus believed it. I think Jesus knows the Bible better than anybody here or any scholar that lives in the country or that's ever lived throughout the history of the church. So Christ believed it and looked at it as a type, a picture of Jesus as he was going to be in the earth for three days and three nights. Others say it's too far-fetched. Who has ever heard of an entire city being converted? Well, during the Great Awakening, there were a whole lot of conversions under the preaching of different men, uh, Jonathan Edwards and Whitfield, men such as that. There were great movies of the Spirit and a lot of people coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it shows us what the preaching of the Word can do when God determines to save his people. Still others say it's an allegory, uh, that Jonah represents Israel, the sea represents the Gentiles, the well is Babylon, and the three days captivity of Israel. And they say that they did this, it was actually written after the captivity, because they wanted to open up uh, the possibility of Israel marrying uh, people who were not Jews to make the city, you know, make the nation get bigger and so forth. But the best way to take it is historical account. That's the most logical and best way to take it because of how it presents itself to us. And again, because Christ took it as being historical. The theme of the book of Jonah is God is a God of mercy whose loving kindness is extended even to pagans. That's the theme of the book, overall theme of the book of Jonah. Uh, that God's mercy and loving kindness is extended even to the heathen nations on condition of their repentance. Brief outline, Jonah flees, Jonah prays, Jonah preaches, Jonah learns. 
That's a very brief outline of the book of Jonah. And uh, as you know, Jonah's name came to be synonymous with a jinx. A Jonas is a jinx. Someone that's going to bring bad things or cause bad things to happen in your life. So we want to have us to see this evening that we need to be ready to say yes to God whenever he calls us or whatever he calls us to do. In his providence, whatever trial he puts us through, to be willing to say yes to that. And we learned that again from Jonas. So three things this evening, uh, very quickly. Y'all see my new clock back there? I can see it. This big old thing. An atomic clock. It keeps atomic time. I'm not sure what that means, but uh, somebody can tell me, explain it to me later. But it's beautiful. And I'm not going to pay a bit of attention to it this evening. This is our first night. We can stay here till 8 o'clock, right? It's our first Sunday evening worship. We've got to make up some time. <laughs> We've a lot of services. So three things uh, that uh, the uh, believer's call must be obeyed. The believer's call often brings challenges. And the believer's call from God, if ignored, results in catastrophe. The first thing, then, the believer's call from God must be obeyed. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. This appears 112 times in the Old Testament. And the use of it indicates the importance of the phrase, the word of the Lord came to so-and-so. But it's also important because the message is given by God himself, special delivery. As if God came to you and personally spoke to you and personally told you this is what you are supposed to do. Special revelation, you know. That's what Jonah had. He was a prophet of God. So God comes to him and gives him this message. Now, the words of God are always of substance, are they not? By contrast with the words of man, often the things that we speak are, are false. Sometimes not even aware that what we're saying is not correct. Uh, they are often foolish. Uh, they are often frivolous. And they are always fleeting. But God's word is not. Again, the, the verse I quoted from Isaiah, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever. God's words are always true and always important. And the interesting thing is, Jonah knew the voice of God. He was not unfamiliar with the voice of God. He was a prophet. As we read earlier from the, from the king's text, uh, he prophesied on behalf of the Lord. He knew God. He knew the voice of God. He was not unfamiliar with God at all. Jonah understood full well the importance of both the commission and the message to be delivered because it came to him from God himself. Not some man that told Jonah to go do this. It's the Lord that told Jonah to go do this. So Jonah understood full well the importance both of the commission and the message that was to be delivered, which makes his decision to cut and run uh, just Unbelievably foolish. And yet, how often we find ourselves doing just as foolish a thing when we disregard the word of the Lord in our own life. Jonah should have obeyed God's word immediately. We should obey God's word immediately as well when that word of God comes to us through the scriptures, or through the proclamation of the word, or through some providential act that God has brought into our life. As a prophet, he knew the importance of the message that God had given to him. God said, Arise. Get up. Go to Nineveh. It's pretty clear. It wasn't confusing. Uh, It wasn't uh, uh, strange or anything of the nature. It was very, very clear. He should have straightway made a trip to Nineveh. He should have obeyed the Lord. He should have known he could not outmaneuver God. No one can. God's going to have his way. He's going to have his way. 
No matter what we do, no matter what we think, listen to this. No matter how much we pray, God's going to have his way. Now, God hears our prayers and God answers our prayers. I don't think I'm saying he does not hear our prayers and answer them. He does. Prayer is God's ordained means of accomplishing his work in the world. Prayer is God's ordained means of accomplishing his work in the world. So when we pray, we're not seeking to change God's mind. We're not seeking to argue him into something that he may not want to do, but we're going to try to convince him of it anyway, as if we're in court arguing a case. God is going to accomplish his purposes. He does it through the prayers of his people. He does it according to his providence, but he is going to get his way. Don't ever think when something takes place that we didn't like, God ain't in control. He is. Christ is always on the throne. Christ is always at the helm, directing and governing the affairs of the universe. So we are to be obedient and compliant to the word of God and to the place where God puts us in his providence as a spouse, uh, as as parents, as a, as our vocation. And what's the shorter catechism say? The first question, what is it? Anybody know it? Shorter catechism, question number one. What is the chief end of man? And it is, Master Finn. I like this participation. <laughs> Glorify God and enjoy Him forever. Then First Corinthians ten thirty one. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, Jonah, that was far from the mind. Jonah did not have a copy of the confession. Obviously, he didn't know that first question. He also didn't have First Corinthians ten thirty one at that time, but he knew better. That's what makes the whole thing so ridiculous. Jonah knew better. So the believer then is called from God is to be obeyed. The second thing is the believer's call from God is often challenging. Jonah was to go to the city of Nineveh and cry out against it. He was to preach against it. Uh, it's very likely that what he was to preach against was their own idolatry. So the message Jonah gives is to be loud. It is to be clear. It is to be public. It is to be a witness against the Ninevites. Think about this. Here's this huge city. At one time, Nineveh was the largest city in the world for about five, for about 50 years. The largest city in the world, according to the history that I read. Big place. Cosmopolitan place. Uh, the city was the capital of the Assyrian Empire. Big place. And... They were involved in a lot of ungodliness, and they were involved in worshiping false gods. So Jonah is to go tell them, the God you're worshiping ain't God. The God you're worshiping is a false God. I'm here to tell you about the real God, the one living and true God, and you better worship him. Because if you don't, he's going to bring destruction to your city. I'm getting ahead of the story, but that's, you know, what happens. He needs to go. He needs to preach. He needs to cry out against the city in condemnation. He's not going to tell them God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's not why he's going there. He's going to tell them God is a God who is a judge, and he's going to judge this city to destruction unless you come to repentance and you love him. And you put him first in your life and get rid of all of these false gods. So Jonah's call was a particular calling to go and cry out against the city and against the ungodliness of the city of Nineveh. And Jonah is just dying to go. 
he wants to go and he's happy to go. So that's just uh, his, uh, that's how we all are, right? Well, of course, that's not what happens. Jonah does not want to go. We don't learn until the end of the book why particularly he does not want to go. We have some ideas of why Jonah does not want to go try out against the city. Um, but you see here, this, God is the ruler over every nation, whether they are Christian or not. Uh, he has all men, great and small, under the government and the judgment of God. Nineveh were Gentiles, non-Jewish place. Still, they are answerable to the God of Israel. They are responsible to bow the knee to the God of Israel. They are responsible to honor him and to worship him and to worship no one else but the God of Israel. Though they didn't know his name, that's no excuse. Though they had not heard the name, that's no excuse. They are still responsible for the one living and true God. And God is the governor of all the nations. He is the governor of the United States. He is the governor of every nation in Europe. He is the governor of every nation in Africa. Our God is the God of all nations. Psalm 2, why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves against the rulers and take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in pieces and cast away their cords from us. And what does God do? He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. This really demonstrates this text in Psalm 2, which is a messianic psalm, as you know, uh, referring to Christ ultimately. Uh, but that the hatred the world has, the nations have for our God. He's not going to tell us what to do. He's not going to tell us how to live our lives. He's not going to tell us how to govern. And it says here, the God of heaven laughs, and the Lord shall hold him in derision. Psalm 72 and verse 11, yes, all kings shall fall down before him. All nations serve him. It's nice to be on the winning side of things when it comes to the living God. Psalm 102, verse 15, So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord, and the kings of the earth your glory. Isaiah 40, verse 17, All nations before him are as nothing. They are counted by him as less than nothing. Listen to this. Nations, countries, civilizations, empires exist because God gives them existence, and they end because God determines to end them. It's not by chance. It's by God's determination. By God's wisdom. We read that in the Psalms and it's quite, quite clear. He determines how long every nature shall last. He determines when they shall fail. And we have to say yea and amen for such is our God's will. I tell you, when Ray said to me, when I talked to him about his son dying, and he said to me, it was God's good pleasure to take him. That's faith. That's faith. That's trust. And so God governs all things, and we bow before his good pleasure as he rules and overrules in the affairs of men. Challenges come to Jonah here, the place uh, for him to go and call them to repentance. Uh, God is aware that they hate his people. He tells Jonah to go. God is aware that uh, Jonah will be reluctant. He tells Jonah to go. Uh, God is aware of the difficulty of the task, but he tells Jonah to go. Jonah doesn't go. 
And what happens when we ignore the commandments of God? What happens when we ignore what God would have us do? Is calling well? Uh, when the call from God is ignored, the results is catastrophe. Always catastrophe. Let me ask you a question. Where's the happier family? The family where Christ is honored and worshiped, people try to live and relate to one another on the basis of the Bible, or the family where Christ is ignored and where they don't have any, uh, any sense of what God would have them to say or what God says about the family. And they do what they want to do, and they run their lives like they don't want to run them, and they don't have any regard for one another on the basis of the love of Christ at all. Which is the happiest family, where there is, they seek to have righteousness as a part of their living together, or where they have sin, and they, they, uh, it's just uncontrolled, and they, uh, they simply uh, ha- have no real uh, desire uh, to have a Christian home? Well, unless something is terribly wrong, it must always be the Christian family that's going to be the happiest family. Where love dwells. Where husbands love their wives as Christ loved the church. Where wives are submissive to their husbands in all things as unto the Lord. Where children honor and obey their parents. That's the happiest family. And so, again, when God's call is ignored, the result is catastrophe. Notice the contrasting word here. Now, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for it is evil. He has come up against me. But, it shows contrast. But, uh, Jonah did not do what God called him to do. He acted contrary to the call of God, so he goes to Tarshish. Uh, not sure exactly where that is. It's a place probably in southern Spain on the Mediterranean coast. Uh, it is as far as Jonah could possibly get from the city of Nineveh. And it's very interesting here, the language that it says he was running away from the presence of the Lord. Jonah knew that he could not escape God's glare. He knew that he could not escape God's power, but he had figured it all out, you see. He had his mind working. If he could get away, how's God going to get him back? If he can get to Tarshish and he can live in Tarshish, how's God going to get him back? He's got that figured out. He can't. He can't touch me. He can't reach me. If I can get to Tarshish and I'm on my way, he was so comfortable. He was, he was in, the, in the belly of the ship asleep, you know. Quite confident he had pulled it off. God can't touch me because I have outmaneuvered God. That's what Jonah is thinking at this point in his life as he heads to Tarshish as far away as he can possibly get from Nineveh. Why does he refuse to go and withhold the gospel from them? Because he knew that the preaching of the gospel there might bring repentance to the Ninevites, and they were the sworn enemies of the people of Israel. He hated them. He didn't dislike them. He hated them. And he would rather see them die at the hand of God's judgment than to see God's grace expressed to these people, and they come to repentance and come to worship the one living and true God. He feared that it would be the end of Israel 
if the Ninevites repented and God blessed them, because Israel was not a city, was not a nation that was terribly, terribly uh, faithful to the Lord themselves. As I told you, uh, Jeroboam II was a very wicked king. Most of the kings of the northern kingdom were all wicked kings. The southern kingdom had a dynasty. The northern kingdom did not have a dynasty. So Jonah may be thinking, well, if God blesses these Ninevites and grants repentance to them, they're going to have his favor upon them. And if they have their favor upon them, well, he's brought judgment upon us in the past. He's likely to do that again. He's likely to use these people to do it. And so he's not going to go and preach to the Ninevites because God is a God of grace, as he states at the end of the book. He acted, as we often do, listen to this, God's commandments mean nothing. He acted, as we often do, God's commandments mean nothing. Because if we examine our hearts and our actions so often, the things we do are contrary to the revealed will of God. Our angry outburst, our lack of care for others, our selfishness, these things are contrary to God's word. God's commandments, God's will for us as his people. And notice this, and please uh, grasp this. Providence alone is not a sufficient guide for our actions. Everybody got that? Providence alone is not a sufficient guide for our actions. Now, let me explain it to you. According to God's providence, the ship was there at Joppa. According to God's providence, Jonah had money. According to God's providence, he paid the fare and got on the ship. According to God's providence, he made his way out into the sea. And according to God's providence, he had perfectly arranged this for his escape. You see that? Think about this. According to God's providence, Israel was at war. According to God's providence, David was not there. He was there on top of the, uh, the palace walking around on the roof. According to God's providence, Bathsheba was bathing at the time he was up on top of the roof. According to God's providence, David was king and ordered her to be brought to the palace, which she could not refuse. All of these things worked out according to the providence of God. But here's a question. Did God arrange these events in the life of David so he could sin or to tempt him to sin? No. We know that from the Bible. We know that from the word of God. David took advantage of what was before him according to the promise of God, and he sinned against the Lord. So what should David have done when he was up on the roof and he saw this woman? Well, what he should have done was gone off the roof and gone back into uh, his, his house. Like Joseph, come lie with me, Potiphar's wife. Come lie with me. And he continued to say no. God's providence, that he was in that house with that woman at that time, and yet Joseph refused to do what was wicked before the Lord. I said it this morning, we have to remember that obedience takes determination. It takes determination to be obedient to the Lord. It takes commitment to be obedient to the Lord. There are opportunities throughout the day in God's providence to sin. They're there. But God doesn't place them there before you, hoping you will sin. It's just the way things are working out. As it happened, she was there. 
as it happened, the ship was there. Jonah knew when he paid that money and got on that ship, he was sinning against the Lord. He was not a stupid man. And so we cannot take promise alone as a sufficient guide for our actions. What is the guide for our actions? The Word of God. The Bible is always the guide for our actions, not what opportunities might lie before us. And we have to learn when to say yes, and we have to learn when to say no. Jonah should have said no. David should have said no as well. But at that point, neither one of those men were interested in what God wanted. Not at all. David was interested in satisfying his desires. Jonah was interested in getting away from God. And they both did everything they could do to accomplish the purposes that they had in mind. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says this, No temptation is overtaking you except that which is common to man. God is faithful and will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide a means of escape that you might be able to endure it. What does that tell us? That tells us there are always avenues to avoid the temptations that we come in contact with. God provides that to us. Jonas would have been simple. Go to Nineveh. That would have been the simplest thing for him to do. He would not have been thrown into the sea, all these things. But see how God strikes a straight blow with a crooked stick. The Jonah turns out being a picture of the Christ who's going to come centuries later and be resurrected from the dead. And Jesus said, now Jonah was in the belly of the fish. Remember that happened, Jesus said in the Old Testament, when that happened to Jonah? Well, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth. So Jonah then becomes a type of Christ through his own rebellion. But it's through God's salvation that he becomes a type of Christ. Not, his rebell- not Jonah's rebellion, but through God's salvation. As he is saved when the fish swallows him, and Jonah ends up eventually going back to Nineveh. God will always get his way. God will always have his, his purposes accomplished. So when God gives us a task to do, when God calls us into some type of trial, he will give us the grace to endure it. You've probably all dealt with things you thought you'd never have to deal with. But you did. In every step of the way, there was our God being with us, giving us his strength, supporting us every step of the way. So when God calls us to something, whether he calls us to loss, he calls us to sickness, he calls us to other things, uh, we are to deal with it. And if God calls us to a particular task, we are to say, yes, Lord. And so we need to learn how to plead for a change of heart. Don't plead for God to change his mind. Plead that we will change ours. And God will give us the grace to do what he calls us to do. Jonah is a very interesting character to me. Uh, Again, I love the book. I love the ending of the book. I love the history. I just love everything about the book. And I love the character. He's just so foolish (laughs) thinking he can get away from God. But people do that same thing today. And we learn again and again that we can't. We also learn again and again that our God is always with us. As he said, I think I quoted this this morning, I will never leave you nor forsake you.
There's our comfort. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this book. Pray that you'll be with us as we go through it. Pray that you'll be with Charles throughout the week as Charles prepares to bring your word to us this next Lord's Day from the book of Ephesians. Thank you, O God, for everyone that's here this evening. Thank you for our time together. Thank you for the ability, again, and opportunity to worship you this night. Bless us as we go through these books, we pray, O God. Bless it to our good and to the glory of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, Scott.